This is Executive Recruiter 2.0, where we explore the world of executive search powered by Thrive TRM. The right people are out there, and Thrive TRM's collaborative real-time talent relationship management software helps search agencies, in-house recruiters, and VCP firms find them faster. Here's your host, Reid Flesher. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Executive Recruiter 2.0. I'm your host, Reid Flesher, president and head of product at Thrive. Today, we're joined once again by Robert Crowder, Managing Director, Chapman Farrell. Robert, welcome back. Thank you. If you missed the last episode, we talked about Robert's journey in starting his own search firm. And today, I want to talk to you, Robert, about what it takes to be a successful executive recruiter. So let's get started. What makes executive recruiting different than any other type of recruiting? I would say the sourcing methods is one of the, one of the big differences. Posting and praying is probably not the most effective sourcing method for being able to get executives. It may work for a lot of positions lower in the house, but the post and pray methodology is not the best way to get the top executives. As a result of that, one of the other things that's a little bit different about executive recruiting is is that you normally have to attract somebody who's currently sitting in a seat and doing the job away from that current employer and getting them to come uh, to the job that you're trying to get them to come to. So it takes a lot more relationship building, a lot more understanding what the motivations are, and a deeper relationship in so many ways to be able to actually be able to get access to that person, as well as be able to have those conversations to understand what the driving motivators are for that person to consider changing jobs. What are the core skills of a successful recruiter? There are a lot of skills that are probably necessary, but there are four that come to mind that kind of rise to the top. One of those is emotional intelligence. When I talk about emotional intelligence, it's really the ability to understand and manage one's own emotions and accurately assess the emotions of others. During the course of doing an executive search, there are times that You need to manage yours, and you also have to be able to read the emotions that are going on both with the candidate and with the client. When I think about crucial conversations, and and crucial conversations are really important conversations that have to take place because opinions may vary, emotions might run strong, and the stakes are high. And when you have these crucial conversations, I think one way to be able to have them and have them be successful is having this emotional intelligence. Those situations kind of create a crucible that sometimes can cause it to derail. Um, Whether you're consulting with a client that might want to do something, that he has emotional reasons actually for not wanting to do what you would have him to do. And it's not necessarily always a rational discussion that will win the day. It's sometimes being attuned enough to the emotional situation to be able to assess when it's pouring more rational information isn't really going to help the situation. It actually might hurt the situation. Um, For a candidate, understanding sometimes their reasons for not leaving or electing to do something may be purely emotional and not really rational. So I think that being emotionally intelligent helps you to read those situations better, helps you to navigate those situations better and be more successful um, when those situations arise. So emotional intelligence is one of those things. 
Another one I would say is the, the art of inquiry. That's what I like to call it. And it's, it's the ability to ask the right questions and in the right way to get to the true heart of a matter. I think this is a, a core skill that allows effective executive recruiters to gain insights that were previously hidden and not necessarily on the surface. There have been many times that I've asked questions to a candidate or to a hiring manager where after asking the question, they look at me and go, you know, I had never thought about it that way before, or I hadn't considered that before. And being able to ask those questions that sometimes um, make something apparent that wasn't apparent before is really, really powerful to being able to successfully get the right person in the right job. I would say that it also, you know, this art of inquiry, it's a skill that allows a recruiter to really facilitate a deep and meaningful discussion versus it being conducting an interrogation. There are some people that don't realize that a discussion is going to get you a lot more information than sitting down with a list of questions and it's seeming or feeling like an interrogation. So there is an art to being able to pull that off successfully. I would also say that this art of inquiry um, is something about ownership for being able to make sure that the meaning is conveyed. There's a difference between hearing what somebody said and hearing what they meant. And again, you have to assume responsibility as this facilitator of making sure that the meaning actually is getting through things that you're saying or meanings that you're trying to convey, as well as meanings that they're trying to convey to you and realizing that it's your responsibility um, to make sure. You know, it's never acceptable to say, well, they didn't tell me that. It's your responsibility to ask that question. They didn't tell you because you didn't ask. And I almost think of it as if there was a projector, a movie projector, that was projecting an image or an idea in their mind on the wall, you need to make sure that your image is matching that image. And sometimes words don't convey that. And sometimes we might use different words to convey it. But your, your goal is to make sure that the picture or the image is the same and that you really understand that. And I would say that this art of inquiry also requires a little bit of courage as well as compassion because sometimes there are tough questions and sometimes there are sensitive questions that you need to ask. And having the courage and the compassion um, to do that, I think, is something that is really a part of that art of inquiry. What does it take to excel at the art of inquiry? I think when you are authentically curious, it actually leads you to great questions. Because instead of just assuming what the answer is, asking follow-up questions because you're curious about, well, how did you achieve that? Well, talk to me a little bit more about that. How did you feel about that? How'd that make you feel? And how'd you respond to that? And asking those questions helps you to get more information and more insight um, to be able to help a candidate make a great choice and actually help a hiring manager make a great choice as well. A uh, third one, I would say, is listening skills. And listening skills is, again, the ability to truly hear what a person means, not just what they say. So one of the things that I would, when I would train my recruiters, would focus on was listening for qualifiers, that people that, that require a little bit more of an inquiry. 
One example that's kind of comical that comes to mind is I was talking with somebody in a casual conversation and the person made the comment that, well, I've never been in a major accident before. Just by the fact that they qualified it as major, our definition of major might not be the same. So why don't you tell me about some of your minor accidents? <laughs> Since you qualified it, we might not have the same definition of what major is. Come to find out that she had opened up the door and had a door taken off of a car. <laughs> so I'm not so sure we had the same definition of major. But uh, that's an example. Is, and when people use qualifiers, there's usually a reason why they've qualified something. So it should be a cue. Um, and you need to listen for those things. You also need to listen for what wasn't said. Uh, there are many times that people say things and they will exclude saying other things. And again, listen for those things that weren't said as well as those things that were said. Another thing about listening, too, is that you don't want to answer the question for the person. There are many times where we will get uncomfortable with silence. And in that, in that gap of silence, we start to fill in the blank for the person. We start to fill it up with noise. And again, being a good listener, you have to have the patience to let there be sometimes awkward silence and give the person time to think about what it is that they want to say and listen for it. Don't give them the answer. Don't fill in the blank. Don't be uncomfortable with the silence because if it was really a good question, it actually might take a little bit of time for them to formulate an appropriate answer. And there are some times where people think waiting for my turn to speak is listening, which it is not. So in your head, if you're thinking about what your response is or what your answer is going to be, you're not fully listening to the person. And again, being a good listener, you're actually listening to them and processing what they're saying to you as opposed to just waiting for your turn to talk. Um, so I would say that that's another important thing. And then finally, as far as listening skills is, is that you need to eliminate what I refer to as verbal fog. Uh, verbal fog is, and, you know, if I ask someone, you know, so what are, your, what are your employment priorities when you look at another job and you were to leave? You know, what things are important to you? Usually they're going to say something like, well, I'm looking for opportunities for advancement. And some recruiters will write down, hey, they're looking for advancement opportunities. What else are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a good fit. Okay, they write that down. They still don't know what a good fit looks like, and they still don't know what advancement looks like to this person. Because if you were to ask 10 different people and they gave you that same answer, those things look a little different. And sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we got an answer when it's still verbal fog. Make sure that you ask enough questions and you listen well enough to know when it's verbal fog and when I need to ask a few more questions to be able to make that thing so tangible that if I saw it walk down the hallway, I could get up and tackle it. And then the final thing I would say is around conceptual thinking. And that's really being adept at grasping complex issues, anticipating both short and long-term implications of decisions, and being a continuous learner, always looking to grow, always looking to learn. And there is something that um, as, a, as a conceptual thinker, there are more interesting and intriguing and useful insights that evolve through the intersection of two or more related facts. It might be one thing to realize that 
finding talent is is excessively difficult in our marketplace. You know, you have you have more people that are looking for talent than talent that is available. And then maybe an intersection of some additional information is that 46% of people that get hired fail within the first 18 months. The insight of thinking about those two things together actually winds up making you think about things a little differently than if you just looked at one of those data points by themselves. So again, always thinking about the interconnectedness of things. What are data points that are related that are important to this hiring manager? And again, just even knowing that might make this person take a little bit more concern about doing the right thing, even though there might be the pressure to fill a job, but realizing that if we make this too hastily, 46%, and that's slightly better than the flip of a coin, (laughs) might not make it. And uh, so there is no reason to rush if we don't have the right things. And, and even really understanding, well, what are the factors that actually cause someone to not be successful and making sure that those are part of the evaluation process. Because if we have to do this again, it could take a long time again. So there are some additional insights when you think about the intersection point of, of two facts that actually brings up new insights or new questions or new things that we can solve. So I would say that um, being this catalyst for uncovering alternatives to satisfy the true need is also a part of this conceptual thinking. What people ask for and what they need are sometimes two different things. And if you only are addressing what they actually ask for, you're sometimes trying to – sometimes you'll reach an impasse where you can't really give them the thing that they're asking for. Can you give me an example of that idea? One example that I can think of is that, you know, I want somebody that has 10 years of experience doing this particular thing. But if we really realize that the outcome that we hope this person has is X, Y, and Z, if somebody only had seven years of experience, would you exclude that person? Well, of course not, because the need is that outcome that you're trying to achieve. And sometimes people will define what they think they want, which isn't really the underlying need, and sometimes will limit their options or their choices. So um, being that person, being that advisor, because of your conceptual thinking that actually is a catalyst for uncovering alternatives to satisfy their needs, I think is a, um, a great asset for a recruiter to be successful. I'm curious to hear if these skills can be learned or if they're just skills you're born with. Yeah, actually, I think that the majority of these can actually be taught. Um, Emotional intelligence is something that is a skill set that once you become aware of it, you can actually practice it. So I actually have had recruiters working for me that actually um, have used some programs to actually build on their emotional intelligence and and being able to be more self-aware and understand Number one, how they're feeling about things and being able to identify that makes them uh, more prone to be able to pick that up and pick up some of those cues in other people as well. And a lot of the emotional intelligence actually is the stories that we tell ourselves in our heads. So when somebody smiles, when you have said something, you can either get upset thinking that they're laughing at you, or you can think that they smiled just because they smiled. And sometimes that gap between when somebody does something and the way that you've perceived it sometimes has more control over how you feel 
about something than the actual act. If you don't always get upset when somebody smiles, what's the story you're telling yourself that you got agitated about that? Um, so again, creating alternatives on why a rational person might do something will help you to manage your emotions better so that you don't overreact or act in a way that is inappropriate. I would say around the art of inquiry, again, sometimes just realizing, you know, what types of words or what types of questions or, you know, which ones will get me actually the answer that I'm looking for. You know, one example I can think of is that when you ask somebody, so tell me about your culture. Most people really don't think about that in a way to be able to articulate that. Culture is usually one of those unspoken rules. You know, you you get it or you don't, and you do it or you don't, and you don't think about it consciously, kind of like blinking or breathing. Um, it's just the way you are. And we as human beings have a tendency to, you know, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. So if, in fact... I think the world operates this way. I think everybody else does. So I don't tell you not because I'm trying to keep it from you. I just haven't thought about it deep enough to be able to articulate it to you. Is there a way to get around that? One question that I found that actually gets at getting you an answer that's more useful is tell me about um, a significant event in the history of this company and who was the hero that emerged. And when people start to describe that person and what the situation was and who the hero is, that right there is the personification of the values that that place ascribes to because that was the hero that saved us. That was the hero that turned it around. That was the hero that did X, Y, and Z. And as a result of describing that person, that probably gives you actually more insight into the culture of the place and what behaviors are valued. So you can learn to ask better questions. Um, so I think that's something that's, that's teachable. And then listening skills, you can actually teach people to be better listeners as well and just helping them to, again, what are some of those words that are verbal fog? And sometimes it's just through somebody that might be good at it sitting down and asking you, so what did, what did they mean when they said that? Do you know that? And every now and then when you get asked that question, you're like, you know, I really still don't know the answer to that question. Then you didn't ask the right question you didn't hear what the meaning was behind that. So, you know, there are ways to do that. In regards to conceptual thinking, I think that one's probably more either you have it or you don't. <laughs> That's probably more of a given, um, kind of like IQ. You know, those are, those are things that they think are more static and can't be learned. So, Robert, I just want to thank you for your time today and the insights you shared with our audience and also for being a customer of Thrive TRM. Uh, we wish you uh, much success. I wish you much success as well. 